Most buyer personas are useless. They often have a quirky name like Mark the Marketer and some info like 37 years old, married for 8 years, 2 kids, mid-level manager at a tech company. The problem with this, Mark isn't real. Here is what Adrian Barnes, founder of Best Buyer Persona, says about this. The reason it creates bias is because it's you have basically assigned your entire persona to a 28-year-old white female, you know, maybe who has these kind of traits, then you automatically create all content, all marketing, all products, everything for a 28 white female. When we know that your entire audience of consumers are not 28-year-old white females. Like, um, and I don't really feel like the those demographic type information uh, do a good job of creating personas. Adrian is on a mission to help businesses create actionable, data-backed, and needle-moving buyer personas. In this Marketing Powers episode, you'll learn first, what's wrong with how most marketers create buyer personas? Second, Adrian shares the four R's to the best buyer personas that will help you win more business. Third, Adrian's advice to young marketers about gaining confidence. For each episode, I create a power-ups cheat sheet you can use to download, fill in, and apply the marketing concept to your business right away. Go to marketingpowerups.com to get those right now. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Power-Ups. Ready? Go! Your host, Rambly Let's jump in and, and talk about marketing power-ups. And one of the power-ups that you have really honed in on is around best buyer personas. Right before we get to that power, what, what's wrong with the current the current personas that marketers use? And I'm really honing in on one of your tweets uh, that has over 700 likes that you said that. Fictional characters and personas really lay the foundation for bias and inaccurate marketing campaigns. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why personas lead to all of those negative things that's mentioned in that tweet? One of the things that, or the reason how it all begins, I'll say, is that it starts with the creation of the persona, right? So usually what I've seen a lot in the past is, uh, you know, a marketing team, a CMO will get into a room or on a Zoom and say, okay, we need... Um, some personas. So who are our customers? And it's kind of a lot of assumptions. They have a really good time. People get creative. It's like, oh, and I bet she loves um, a matcha latte from Starbucks. And I bet she uh, drives a gray minivan. And like, I bet she has a cat and her kid plays soccer and basketball. Like, so kind of these, these uh, fake people begin to form, right? Like they don't actually exist. They're not real in reality. Um, and it's not based upon solid data and customer backed conversations or social listening, or actually like going in and looking at behaviors of online, you know, the way your consumers behave. It's a lot of like, well, we've heard this from sales. We've seen this a little bit. Maybe our customer support kind of told us, and this is what we think. So we're just going to lay this out. Um, and the reason it creates bias is because if you have basically assigned your entire persona to a 28-year-old white female, um, you know, maybe who has these kind of traits, then you automatically create 
all content, all marketing, all products, everything for a 28 white female. When we know that your entire audience of consumers are not 28 year old white females, like you could have all ages, all races, all genders. Um, and I don't really feel like the, those demographic type information uh, do a good job of creating personas. Now, people want to kind of push back and argue and they say, well, we have to know that. Like, and we're D2C. We got to be able to sell to, you know, women who are buying lipstick. There's not very many men who buy lipstick. So what are you trying to say, Adrian? And my point is that it's not that you shouldn't know that information or use that kind of information in your marketing. It's that your persona should not be like created because of this information. It should not be the persona. As a marketer, you should be aware much more intuitively to what are their pains? Why are they buying the product? What is the process that they go through to find out that you exist or to realize themselves that they need a solution? Those are much more important for marketing teams um, to understand than 28-year-old white female, da, 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 whatever the thing may be. So that's why I say when you've begun in such a way where those facts, quote unquote, become your persona, it really is laying a foundation for bias. All that you're saying is around assumptions, assumptions mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and generalization. You're generalizing your customers as this big group of people where when you, when people are people are people. Right? right, they have different pains and, and situations. That's what you're really like trying to hone in on. It's like generalizing marketing, and you know, leads to bias. Is what you're you're really driving towards, right? And it, you know, of course, there's going to be some level and some degree of creating stereotypes. That's almost what a persona is: is you're creating a stereotype. But I would much rather have different audience segments based and focused on why someone bought a product, why do they come to us, how do they use it, what are their pain points, segment those people together rather than job title, age, gender, you know, that kind of a thing. It's much more, it's a much stronger way to segment your audience. You're not going to people like, so because she's 28 one year next year, she's aged, is she no longer a customer? Like, no, mm -hmm. of course not. Um, if she gets married and she's loved your product for forever, but all of a sudden she, whoever the she is, you know what I'm saying? She gets married. Is she now no longer a valued customer? No, of course not. Like when you think about how people actually use products, I don't come to a product and think, oh, I'm, I happen to be the right age and the right profile for this. And it, it stems from media buying, right? Like if you go onto LinkedIn, or if you're, um, especially in B2B, if you're buying ads anywhere, you have to know that to buy media and reach a certain audience. So what I always say is that you might reach if you know that, but you'll never resonate if that's all you know. You have to be able to understand what is the pull for them? What is the thing that's going to hit home for them? That then once you've reached them, you can say, okay, we, we understand you though. Like we really get where you're at. We understand that this is a problem or is this a problem? If so, here's what we've seen. Like that's how you begin to resonate with your audience. I love what you just said there because it starts just a little bit of alliteration. You'll reach them, but you'll never resonate with them if you're yeah. really focused on those, those information with the persona. You're really leading towards your your framework that you use, the jobs without framework to to define a mm -hmm. much, you know, to your business name, Best Buyer Personas. Can you talk a little bit about that 
that process now. So you you know you, you were already leading towards you know understanding the pains. Uh, can can you share your your process to helping companies define their best buyer personas and grow past stalls? The um, jobs to be done is just a very useful framework for understanding people, for being in a situation where you're trying to figure out what is at the core motivation, what is a core motivation of someone. Um, and, you know, I, I basically have studied Bob Moest up and down. At, he was at the Business of Software Conference. Um, he goes every year. And so I've studied his interviews and read the books and really wanted to get a really solid idea of how do I learn? How do I find out from people what's important to them and why they buy? And, and basically those pain points of that entire journey. And Jobs to be Done does that really, really well. It wants to sit you in a situation where you're almost gathering information like a uh, like somebody who's running a news report, right? Like it's a, uh, a biography of sorts. And so you're really trying to say, okay, tell me about that day. Like what was going on? What did the weather look like? Why did you do these certain things? So you can really get to understand those core emotions. And the core emotions, of course, for any marketer is what you want to be pushing on. That's what you want to get to. That's what you want to understand. Those are the insights that allow you to create content that is helpful or funny or entertaining or whatever you're trying for your content to be. Um, it really does give you the information necessary to, to have the stuff that resonates. Like we said earlier, it's, it's basically the key to understanding who and why your buyers are. I say, you know, we always talk about, you need to know your buyers, you need to know who your customers are, know your customers, but nobody really explained what that meant. Because uh, e-consultancy did a survey a few years back, but it said basically brands feel like they do know their customers. They, they'll tell you like 98% of people are like, yeah, we know our customers. But then on the customer side, they don't feel understood. They don't feel valued. They don't feel like things are going the way they would like them to. And so there was a disconnect. So for me, I was like, why is there such a huge disconnect um, and I really believe it starts with identifying what does it mean to know your customers. So if you're going to know them, you need to know how they behave online or in in your product, essentially, um, who they are, how do they self-identify, that's some of that demographic information, and then why do they behave the way they do. And a lot of people want to you know, run surveys or use Hotjar, use these amazing tools, social listening. Um, to see how people behave. You can, we can learn a lot online and with tools, but what we can't learn is why, why they made the choices they did. Why do they feel the way they did? Um, the only way to get that information is through interviews. And that's why um, the interview process is the most time consuming, the most expensive, but the most important part of the persona process. I'm totally with you there. I feel like that's, you no, know, as an introvert, I try to avoid customer interviews, but I know that the value and the insights and all the advantages that come with having conversations with customers really do come because it's easy to lie on a survey, right? It's mm -hmm. easy to like, yes, I am yeah. this, I love it. But when some, when you're talking to somebody, when you're looking at a bit in the eye, there's hopefully some some clues that they're uh, they're really excited. Their eyes light up, they get, uh, you know, they get more emotional and more yeah. active versus when they're not really excited about that. 
Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. The pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, ABM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creative to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com, to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. Find the link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. I want to share. So you, you interview them, you get their insights, and then you you use that as the core to uh, the best buyer persona, not based on you know gender or race or age, but really based on the motivation and the pain points that they're facing. Are there any other things that you would add to a great buyer persona um, that you know that we haven't chatted about? So especially for B2B, one of the things that I like to include is what I call the four R's. So you want to know their relationship, their responsibilities, their rituals, and their routines. So when I say relationship, what I found when I've got B2B sellers, B2B marketers, is we need to know where do they sit in the organization? Um, Where are they the champion? Are they the buyer? Are they the, um, the user? Do they have the credit card? Is our product to where it's got to be like, now we got to go convince their boss to buy. Like all of that information is really important. So that's the relationships. I like to identify their internal hierarchy, essentially. What does that organization's hierarchy look like? And how does it buy products? How do they go about that? Um, Rituals. What does their day-to-day look like? What um, other kind of tools do they use? What do, you know, are they meeting in offices? Are they a fully remote company? Like all of those things are really important to know um, or can be, especially for B2B. Routines, you know, is there something that is consistent with them? Maybe the routine is they purchase new products in the spring or they only purchase, they can only shop once every three years. You know, if you get to enterprise B2B, contracts are locked in. It's valuable to know when those contracts come up. So what kind of routines and cycles is the company a part of? Um, So all of that's really something that I like to look at when we do uh, the buyer personas. Also, the buyer's journey. What does that look like? Where does the level of awareness happen? Um, You know, what are kind of the common steps? Obviously, everybody kind of takes their own and especially internal and, and enterprise companies, you have buying processes that can be extensive and six months, a year long kind of a thing. But it's important to understand what does that process look like? Where, do, who has to be involved? Who are the decision makers? Things like that. Um, also very important. And so when we put together a persona, one of the things I like to do, and this is kind of how we developed into growth stalls and understanding how to help push companies through the growth stalls is one thing I would do is I was always start with stakeholder interviews. And I would say like, okay, what are you assuming about the product or assuming about your company, about your customers? What do you know and what do you need to know? And what we would find is oftentimes there were um, misalignments, confusions, silos with information, silos with um, like educational gaps, huge knowledge gaps for different people. And that became 
really important information for like the CEO and the executives to know. They were like, oh, we didn't realize that. We didn't realize that our head of product and our head of sales were on two completely different pages um, with their goals and where things were going. So we started actually leaning more into um, understanding internal processes. So the, the growth stalls part comes from understanding your customers, the outer, the external, and the internal. Um, but those internal questions are always answered in the persona. So I would say, like, what do you need to know in order for your projects to be most successful? And I, I would talk to all of the stakeholders in the organization, and they'd let me know what, you know, oh, I need to know what kind of price they'd be willing to pay, or I need to know, you know, what other tool do they use, or, you know, all of the different things. Um, and so I, that becomes key information in the persona. So each audience segment, each persona, because there usually are multiple, um, is actually has a lot of supportive information. So there's quotes, there's that, you know, every statement that I say, you know, this and this and this is fact, there's a quote to support it because we've gone through the interviews and we know that it's true. So, um, yeah, we really want to make sure that when we create these persona documents, that it's usable across the organization, that it doesn't just sit in marketing. Um, we want product to be able to use it. We want customer support and sales and the executive team to be able to base strategy upon it. It really does become a core foundational document for the organization to grow. I totally love that that 4R. Uh, I can't get over it. It's I just want to reiterate it's relationship, rituals, Routines and I don't remember the responsibilities. Responsibilities. Yeah. So that's so good. That's a gold mine. You said something there that's super interesting. That for most B two B products, there's usually more than one persona. Is that what you would say? Is it, would yeah. you agree to that? Like, what is you know what's the average you've seen working with companies? And you know, it totally depends on like how complex is your product, the industry. But do you have any guidance on like you know if you're B two B only have one persona, then maybe you should think about you know other ones that you're not covering. So it does, it really does depend on the products that are out. Like I've worked with companies where there's six or seven products within it, you know, within the one company. So, um, but myself, and I've talked to a few others who kind of do really strong jobs to be done type uh, audience segmenting, we've never seen more than three to five. So if you end up with, and, and I, what I've seen when people do it through demographics is that there are 16 personas throughout the company because sales will have about three or four personas. Marketing will have about three or four personas. Product has three or four personas. You know, like each different department has created their own personas because they need to know who the customers are. Um, and it's all very geared towards their perspective, right? Like what do we need to know about um, in order to make our goals met? What do, we, what do we need to know about our people? So they're all a little different. Um, and that's really why when I come in and there are, you know, nine to 10 personas for a company, or especially when there's only one or two products, it's a smaller company, um, then it's like, okay, we need to kind of revamp and rethink about the way we segment these people. Because if we work through jobs to be done, jobs to be done usually absorbs two or three or four of those personas. And then if we can clarify and get to know the information necessary for all of the departments, then you have a much more streamlined process. It's a clear, like, here's our slide. It's useful for everybody. Um, and it's not so siloed as each department having their own personas. I want to shift gears now and talk about career. Uh, yeah. I believe you've been in marketing for how many years now? Like, I, I feel like you're um, 
like I'll, I'll let, let you're an expert. Obviously oh an expert gosh. in this space. I think this is, we're working on year seven. Seven. Nice. So not terribly uh, long. Yeah. Uh, oh, because you were a teacher before, right? I was that's a an teacher interesting before. Issue. Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting, you have an interesting perspective now, like uh, that transition from teaching to, to now marketing. What's, what's in the last seven years, what's something that's helped you in your career as you progress, uh, you know, as, as a marketer? There are a few things. Number one, especially since I am a consultant, freelancer, solopreneur, whatever you want to call it, basically, I'm kind of running my own shop. I'm not, you know, an in-house marketer, um, is I have to push through the cringe, push through the awkward, push through the days of like, nobody wants to hear from me or I don't have anything to say and try to show up authentically in some way. Um, and sometimes that's just be saying like, I, I don't know, or asking questions or just being vulnerable. Um, sometimes it's me saying, no, I really do know this. Like I'm really, what I, when I know something, I'm pretty confident in what I know. Um, but I never want to put out there and make it look like I know more than what I know. Right. Like, so that's something that has um, definitely been helpful is just being willing to show up in different spaces, um, be a little awkward or it's just, you know, it just feels awkward, right? Like you're, you're pushing through you, you know, you think nobody wants to hear from me. What, what do I have to say? Um, but pushing through that anyways, ignoring that voice and just doing it regardless, kind of that imposter syndrome. Um, the second thing has just been to be obsessively curious mm, about what it is I'm doing. So um, I've basically given myself an MBA in like interviewing and conducting research in this way. I've read every book. I've read textbooks. I've gone through. And, you know, when you can find a syllabus online, I've read every book in the syllabus. Um, so also without actually taking any legitimate courses, it's all self-taught, that kind of thing. So just obsessively curious and then pushing through the imposter syndrome and showing up have really, that's kind of what I, I keep, keep striving for is just to stay consistent and, and know what I know, essentially. I love those two, um, especially like pushing past, like, mm. you know, I've been sharing visuals and stuff online and every yes, time I set up, like, them. this is the worst, you know, it's like, this is the worst thing I've ever created. And sometimes people just have to push that and just share that, that knowledge. And that's yeah. how we actually um, met. Through, you know, I was going to join Corey Haynes, this challenge that he did to grow Twitter. And I was like, this is, this is I'm not good enough. I don't have yeah. enough followers. And, and we got placed in the same group. And that's how, you know, we became closer friends. Is through, yes. Through that. Yeah, we did. That was a few years ago. And it was like, I think it was 2020. Um it was a focus and it was so funny, like watching, we had a small little group. Some of us are now like multi, almost million. <laughs> I have no idea how many some right. of them have. And then like, there's still me who's just barely over 10,000. Well, like 12,000, 12, 12, but like the goal in 2020 was to reach 10 and I didn't. So, you know, it's just, it's funny that you can't let that be the thing that stops you. Like if I were like, oh, well, I guess I didn't make 10,000 followers. I'm going to give up. Like nobody cares about my tweets. Um, you know, it's got to be about something bigger than that, right? Like if you're only chasing clout and numbers, you're going to burn out real quick. And the other thing is like, you never know who's watching you, though you, you, you don't have like hundreds of thousands of followers. That's how 
I believe you got invited to speak at Harvard University was somebody found you on Twitter and was like, Adrian, your tweets, your content's amazing. Come speak to our this is what happens when even like even though um sometimes we feel like we don't we're not creating great content, people are like, yeah. This this is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So I tweeted something and she couldn't quite remember what it was, but um, a client that I work with who also has a very, very small Twitter following liked my tweet. And because he liked it, it showed up in her feed. And like, he really has a small following. And so then she reached out to me at email. She's like, this is great. Can you come speak at Harvard? I can't pay you, but we'd love to have you come and talk and teach the students. And I just happened to be in Boston going to the Business of Software conference. And I was like, actually, I will be in town. So we made it happen. I know you you you, you talk about those power-ups. Another uh, thing I, I want to ask you is around advice. Advice for people who are young, particularly for yourself. If you had to give yourself, your younger self, uh, when you're making that transition from, from teaching to, to marketing, what would you give that younger version of yourself as an advice to, to I think, as that person goes through market. Okay, so a little context. I will be 40 in like 12 days. So I'm I'm turning like this is a birthday year. It's a big birthday, right? Like and you're it's middle age. 40 is a big number. So I've been thinking a little bit about this. And really it's that there are so many chapters in life. If you're in your twenties, mm. for some reason when you hit like 28, like something in your body or society or somewhere makes you feel like you're running out of time, makes you feel like, oh my gosh, I haven't accomplished enough. Like, I don't know what it is, but it seems to be true. It was true when I was 28. It still seems to be true. Um, you have so many chapters. There is so much time. There are so many iterations of yourself available and out there. If you just keep moving forward, stay curious, stay learning. Um, you know, I'm literally relaunching a part of my consultancy, like in the next couple of weeks and I'm not done yet. Like I am not done yet. And, you know, I, I still have like 20 good years of like solid work ahead of me. So, you know, just don't have this sense of who you are today. If you're young and the job you're doing now and the skills you have now is where you're at. There's a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential and a lot of iterations left. So just stay curious and see where the path takes you. That's so good. I feel that in my core. I'm yeah. just like, uh, I have goosebumps. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about that as well. I am going to be 40 in three years. You know, like that's, you know, what is the next stage? Uh, we're just chatting about like the future uh, of, of where I, I want to go. And I love it. Chapters and you th I think about books, you know, there's different editions and different issues and uh, the future is bright. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And if you see it that way, you know, it, it's much more better. You're going to grow, right? If you see it as like, oh, I'm done, doom and gloom, then you've blocked yourself from growth. So just just see the opportunity and, and growth will happen. One other question I have uh, around advice and, and career growth and powers for career is, you know, we talked about career advice. If you can leave, you know, for people that are tuning in like right now, um, they're probably a marketer within a company. And what would be like your one or two pieces of advice you'd like to to share to to those listeners, those audience right now around around marketing or even around career or any parting advice that you would lo love to give to the audience? Yeah, in-house marketers, B2B, and you know, honestly, especially women. If you are a young woman in a team, on a team right now, um, record every 
achievement, every, you know, benefit, every team activity you do, you have to toot your own horn. Just like me being a consultant on the outside, no one is going to share my accomplishments for me. No one is going to get out there and tell people what I've accomplished. And no one's going to do that within your own team, unless you have a very empathetic and very supportive boss. But usually you cannot rely on that. You have to be your own advocate. You have to set forth and say, this is what I accomplished. This is how that impacted the business and ask for more money. Like if that's where you're at, make sure um, that you've got the data to back why and that you're able like actually recording and tracking your progress. It's going to make such a difference, not even just within your own company. If you're in your own company and the growth can happen and you want to stay there, that's amazing. But then when you're ready to go and leave, you take those accomplishments, those lessons, those values with you, and it just makes you a stronger candidate elsewhere. So if you are, you know, just starting out, you're trying to figure out and you don't think you have an impact, you do. You're part of a team. Everything you do is beneficial. Um, so make sure you're tracking it and taking it with you for sure. And that also applies to uh, consultants as well. Like oh, now you can like, yeah. I should be charging more. Look at all these things you have, you've done. Uh, in your uh, with your clients and you know past yeah. companies that you worked at and you know like that really does uh, help you know, see your your worth and value uh, yes to, to people. get your case studies get your testimonials all of that stuff is helpful honestly it does the work for you it goes from you having to convince someone to sign on to them begging you to like okay when are we working together that it makes that big of a difference. Hope you learned how to create more actionable buyer personas that will help you win more business from this episode. You can find out more about Adrian Barnes and her work by subscribing to her newsletter, Growth Insights, and following her on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find those links in the show notes and description. Thanks to Adrian for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power Ups newsletter that I send out each week. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers from each episode. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the five best marketing frameworks the top marketers use to hit their KPS consistently and wow their colleagues. If you want to say thank you, please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube goes a long way for others finding out about marketing power-ups. Thank you to Mary Salden for creating the artwork and design. Thanks to 42 Agency for sponsoring this episode. And of course, thank you for listening and tuning in. Well, that's all for now. This is your host, Ramley John. Until the next episode, have a powered up day. Bye. Marketing power-ups. Until the next episode.